but stop giving a shit about what everyone else thinks. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that the people that you're so worried about what they think are usually the people that bring negativity towards what you're doing. And if you dig a little deeper, the people that are bringing negativity towards what you're doing, if you analyze those individuals, it's those people that are feeling some sort of pain because they haven't done it. And as a result of them not doing it, when you do something that might be outlying or outside the standard deviation of what is considered like the blueprint, they will chirp you for it. They will try and bring you down. They will question it. They will talk about your behind your back. And for me, because I was so worried about what everyone else cared, I cared and said, I wasn't focused on doing in the things I had to be doing. And so if I could give less shit back when I was 21 about what other people thought and the reasons why not to do stuff, I would have been much better in a position mentally and physically to do it. And the second I stopped caring, the second I said, I'm going to do it. And here's the reason and thought and logic in my head why it makes sense and giving it a shot, the more access, opportunity, discovery, and just overall happiness started to just blossom. So that was my biggest thing is I cared too much about what other people thought. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks. Come from a different cloth. Y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park. Now we eat it from state to state. We scrape the plate. I put my eggs in the basket. Took a leap of faith. I took a chance. Now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests. Now let's bring Matt. Welcome to the show. Matt Labrie here, your host of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success. And today's focus of this episode is so important because it is something that we have all experienced. In fact, I'll take that a step further. It's not only something that we have experienced, but something that we will experience again if we aren't currently experiencing it now. I could sum it up in one word. We are going to be discussing the pivot the transitional periods of our lives. Now, they happen in numerous different areas, right? They happen in our career. They happen in our business. They happen with our health. If we're given news or we see that we need to make a change, right? We need a pivot. They happen in our relationships, whether we're getting into one and we're no longer single anymore or we're taking the next step from boyfriend, girlfriend to fiance. The list goes on. There are so many moments in which we have to pivot and make transitions in life. Now, To that point, I can speak from experience and say there have been moments where I've known I've needed to pivot. Life has showed me the signs, but I just didn't want to pivot. I didn't want to make the transition because where I was was comfortable. So to break all of this down, I said to myself, you know what? We need to bring an expert on that has conquered this, that has done this time and time again. So shout out to our friend Jason Tartik, Wall Street Journal bestselling author, the host of Apple's top podcast, Trading Secrets, entrepreneur of five operating companies, investor and speaker. Now, after 10 years of working in corporate banking, Jason took a detour into reality television where many of you know him. He premiered on season 14 of ABC's The Bachelorette, but since then, he has made several appearances on the ABC network from Good Morning America, The Bachelor season 20 three celebrity family feud listen to your heart live with kelly and ryan the bachelorette greatest seasons ever dancing with the stars the list goes on he is everywhere but he had to pivot he went from corporate banking into reality television 
into what he's doing now and he has broke this down in such calculated ways and being able to amplify that to share it with all of you is so freaking awesome so that's why i love having a podcast it's absolutely incredible we're going to be diving into the pivot when to pivot how to pivot where to pivot we're going to have a really deep conversation about understanding what happiness is for us right because we want to pivot where we're going to be happy Sure, we can't avoid all challenges and all turbulence, but understanding what happiness is for you. We're having a really raw and deep conversation. I'm really excited to amplify it. I know, I know, I know people are going to want us to talk about the Bachelorette and the Bachelor and all that fun stuff. I promise we'll talk about that too. So without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Jason Tartik. Jason, welcome to Decoding Success, man. Excited to have you here. As just alluded to, your body of work, what you're doing, what you're putting out there for people in this world is incredible, man. So thank you so much for joining us. Matt, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about it. Of course. Now, I'm the type of person that literally just dives right into the deepest part of the water here. So what I love most about your journey is how you've pivoted numerous different times, right? Not just once. Like I I think this is really incredible. I'm sure you get similar questions here, but I'm curious to learn your mindset in regards to the moves that you've made because it's not easy, right? You were in corporate banking, then you had the entrepreneurial spirit deep within you. And dude, I mean, that's just a really difficult decision to make. So I'm just curious, like what is your mindset and what do you suggest someone's mindset should be to make big pivots in life like that? Totally. So the big things I think about are mobility, right? So the pivot I'm making, what is the acceleration? What is the pinnacle of this decision? Is it a dead end? Or what kind of you know trajectory could I get on if things go well? So mobility is a huge factor in the decision-making process. Another one is compensation, right? So I am not completely driven by compensation the way I used to be, but do the economics make sense, right? I have so much time to deploy towards work things because I'm very focused on my health. I'm very focused on my relationship. I'm very focused on my family. And so if I'm going to put my energy towards a business opportunity, for me, the economics just have to make sense for the time. And it's very important while I'm considering economics and compensation, I'm focused on two big other things, which are passion and impact. Do the things excite me? Do they drive me? Are the day-to-day responsibilities aligned with things that I get fired up about? Or is it same as the, you know, the old minutia that I was doing in my corporate banking days that was putting me to sleep, that made me want to leave after lunch and go get an hour nap in just so I can get past the clock? So passion and impact, right? So what type of work am I doing within this detour that's actually creating something greater than who I am? Was it doing something that is bigger than what I stand for? Is it something that could last longer than maybe a lifetime? Maybe something that could create a legacy. What's the impact today? What's the impact tomorrow? What's the long-term impact? So those are like the big things that I consider when looking at detours, changes, and other opportunities. I love that. Now, when you discuss leaving corporate, I'm curious to learn. I mean, we've had 250 plus conversations just like this. I'm curious to learn, what are you still applying from those corporate days in your day-to-day life, if anything at all? Oh my God, I'm applying so much. I mean, there are so many things that I learned from the foundation of being corporate America that I apply to my entrepreneurship, to employees that I have, to new projects we're taking on, different initiatives, uh, et cetera. So the list of that could take up a whole podcast. But I think what's interesting is there are so many things that I apply, such as like, even like hurdle rates, right? Like back in the banking world, we used to have this Excel file where I had to input the fee, the interest rate, the structure. I had to hurdle certain profitability. And if I didn't, I had to have a business case. Now, in some of the other businesses that I operate, 
it's easy to get stuck in the day-to-day grind and forget about some of these profitability. So even like a system like the hurdle rates in banking, I've applied to some of the other businesses I own. But I will say there's a lot of things that also I did endure and did learn that I make sure that I don't bring to my you know future leadership role and the things that I'm trying to do, et cetera. So everything's a learning experience. From each learning experience, there's things you can take and apply for the good. And there's certainly things you got to filter out. And that's what I think when you look at the best to the best, some of the people you've had on this podcast, I've seen the list. Some of these people have been able to master that process of filtering out inefficiencies, bringing in the good and making adjustments so that every day they're the best version of themselves, better than they were last year, better than they were 10 years ago, and better than they ever could imagine. Yeah. Now I'm curious to learn what was it that actually compelled you to make the move from a personal perspective, right? Because a lot of people that I have conversations with, whether they're guests on the show or just, you know, people in passing, a lot of people have some sort of event take place where like, you know what, I want to make this move and then they never act on it. So I guess it's a little bit of a two-part question here. What compelled you to make the move and actually act on it? Yeah. So I think one of the big things is I lived in this little box, right? I thought that my ceiling was limited to the box that I was in. And that box that I was in was also created by the place that I live and the limitations I had had in a previous relationship that I was in as to like where I could live and where I could go. And the one thing that happened is that box, which I thought was as secure as, you know, a bank vault, completely shattered. (laughs) And what's interesting enough is like when it shattered, everything kind of opened up. I was like, whoa, there's a huge world out there. There's a lot to do. Why would I create some type of limitation? Why would I let a partner or a person put limitations on what I could do in the short lifetime I have? And so for me, like it was a nerve shattering moment when that relationship ended and I was really excited about what could come from it. Now, I took a job soon thereafter that I got asked to go from New York to Seattle with the company I worked for. And for me, that's what I thought, right? Like, when they knock on your door and tell you go, you go. Because if you're relocatable, you get paid more and you'll be on the radar for what's next. But I knew that even though my limitation and thought had changed a little bit, wasn't happy about my job. I knew I could not do it for a lifetime. I was doing anything to distract myself from the actual current job. I was overusing alcohol as a means of camouflage and coping because I was just unhappy. And I just knew that I wasn't in the position I wanted to be in. And so I put a plan in place well before reality TV came to fruition. I grew up with Rob Gronkowski, tight end of the Patriots. And I'll just never forget like 2015, going to visit him, getting some interaction, seeing what his agent was doing. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then we went on the ground cruise and I got to see like, you know, how much money he made off that weekend and different stuff his agent was doing with partnerships and brands. I'm like, this is badass. And so I knew I could never be a Rob Gronkowski. I knew I was never going to be the professional athlete, but I knew I did have kind of like the brain and the energy and the drive to do cool things like that. And so one thing I was thinking about doing was actually after taking the Seattle position, really focusing on my finances so I could be in a financial position to leave the bank and give potentially a shot at like working at like a CAA or UTA or WME and being an agent for either mm. you know movie stars or celebrities or athletes just like Rob. That's awesome. So you hit or you said something that really struck a chord with me. You mentioned that you were turning to alcohol to kind of numb out, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do, right? I mean, it could be even beyond alcohol, whether it is a bottle of wine or video games or scrolling on the phone excessively. I'm curious, what would you do different knowing what you know now in regards to healthy habits? What would you do to cope with that? Is it something as such as journaling or I don't know what works for you? 
All right, guys, let me hop in here real quick. As you know, life can get complicated, so I genuinely appreciate brands, products, technology, whatever it may be, that uncomplicates my life, which is exactly why I want to put you on to Tiege Hanley, a men's skincare company that helps guys just like you and me, your husband, your father, your brother, your fiance, whomever, start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by simply uncomplicating the process. The complication is exactly why we stay away from skincare in the first place, but Tiege is different. They keep it simple. So simple that every box comes with an instruction card. That instruction card is going to tell you when to use each product, how much of that product you should be using with exact size reference, and in what order the product should be used. Now, I kick things off with their level one system. I think it's the simplest way to get started in skincare. It comes with all of the basic needs from a daily face wash, allowing you to throw out that soapy bar that has hair on it and it's going all over your face, the exfoliating scrub that could be used two times per week, morning moisturizer with protective SPF and a nighttime moisturizer. And I have to say the results are awesome. Ever since I started using Tiege, I have to say that I've no longer had dark circles under my eyes. My skin feels richer and less rugged. I have less flaky skin. And like I said, that soapy bar is no longer in the picture. And because Tiege Hanley is sponsoring today's episode, they're offering you a great deal. All you have to do is go to tiege.com forward slash decoding success and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's T-I-E-G-E.com forward slash decoding success to take them up on this amazing deal. Now back to the episode. Yeah, I mean, so so alcohol, I was, you know, I, I would leave work and do whatever we could do to get happy hour, business stuff, anything to get drinking and have a good time and just to like camouflage it. The other thing is I was dealing with a ton of like severe anxiety at work and the anxiety was stemmed from, I was trying to, I just didn't know who I was and I had yet to identify what I was. And so as a result of that, I was trying to be everything to anybody. And the issue with that is you're constantly customizing and adapting and being something that you're trying to be to someone else. And that puts such pressure on you when you're trying to be a certain thing to your client, certain thing to your boss, certain thing to your colleague, a certain thing to your friend. And for me, that pressure mounted and it just blew up. And I was in the media. I have a book that just came out, The Restart Roadmap. In the first chapter, I talk about I'm sitting at a meeting. The CEO is getting ready for the big pitch. We got to win this deal. And boom, a panic attack hits me. And I have to leave the room. Like worst case scenario, you got 12 executives. I'm the young guy. Got to be sharp. Got, I already have things going against me because I'm the young guy as a banker, the youngest guy in the room. And now I'm sitting here having a panic attack. And what I did with that was I said to myself, can't tell anybody about this. If I tell someone about this, it's going to have an impact on my success at the bank. What do I got to do? I got to fix it. I got to fix it now and move on. And that's what I did. I got prescribed Xanax and beta blockers, you know, and, and some people need those. For me, it was like, I just wasn't addressing the issue. I was camouflaging it. No longer take those. And I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't talk yeah. to one person. Other than my psychiatrist and the pharmacist, there's not a human that knew that I even took Xanax and beta blockers and held them in my pocket in meetings until the book came out. And so one thing I'll tell you is when the book came out, I can't believe how many people, colleagues I had at the bank, uh, friends and family members and parents of my friends who I looked as the strongest, most toughest people have come out to me and tell me they dealt with very, very similar things. And so my takeaway from all of that was that vulnerability creates connection and most importantly, over communicate. So I think journaling is a mechanism of communication with yourself. But I think communicating to the people you love and care about and letting them know it's okay to be weak, whether it's mental or physical, it's okay to have bad days. Those are the people that are going to help you get through it. Those are the people that are going to help you do a better job finding yourself 
And for me, I think the process would have been much more accelerated if I had had those communications with the people in my life that cared most about me and would want to help. Meanwhile, I was like embarrassed to do it. So before saying anything else, dude, I just want to, you know, share gratitude for the transparency and the vulnerability because people that do tune into this show, man, they're going to hear that and really resonate because that's real. I've been there. When I was working with Damon John, I remember I would sit in meetings during my first month and I didn't know I was having panic attacks. I was in full blown panic and I would just sit there with my three other teammates and it lasted for literally a month. Every Monday, 10 a.m. when we went into our team meeting, I was in a panic. So I know that a lot of people are going to resonate with that and I just wanted to say thank you for the transparency, but that leads me to ask you, what did the process look like of you discovering who you are at your true essence? And I'm sure it's still an ongoing process because it never really ends, but how'd you start? What did that look like for you? Well, it actually, it's a perfect question that just came from the conversation we had. And it's, it's something exercise I actually talked about in the book is I wrote down, and this is where the pen and paper worked out for me. So I wrote down how I felt about my career, my outlook, and where I was at. And then I took three or four people in my closest circle and I asked them, I said, just be real with me. Like I got a pen and paper out, going through an exercise to work on myself. You know, where do you think about my career? What do you think I need to work on? What do you think about me as an individual? It was fascinating. I took those two pieces of paper and looked at them. God, they couldn't have been more different. I mean, they were night and day. I had people in my closest circle, the people that knew me better than anyone, extremely confident, very go-getter, extremely opportunistic about the future, in the right place, 10 years from now, going to be doing big things in banking, future CEO, like all these things, composed, relaxed. All these things that it was like the exact opposite. It's like massive anxiety, uncertainty, not sure what's next, unsatisfied, disengaged with work, da 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 da. Like none of them compared. And I started to realize with myself that the things I was feeling and the things I was thinking were not the things that I was projecting, it was not the conversations I was having. And to me, that was extremely eye opening. And so what I had to do is really understand down to the bedrock of who I was, what was wrong. How did I get there? And that I call like the rewiring process and understanding what is it that I want? Where is it that I want to go? How is it that I can be more open and less embarrassed about what I need out of life? And so it started from a simple exercise like that. And the more information I got, the easier it was to start to make changes in the directions that need to be made. Absolutely. That's such a beautiful thing when you're able to bridge that gap. It's something I've lived myself. So again, I resonate with that on a high level. I want to actually touch on something quick, Jason, that you had mentioned maybe a few questions ago. And it it almost seemed like you were referencing a past relationship and you were allowing outsiders to, I guess, penetrate your belief system about what was possible for you. I'm just curious, looking back now, what would be your advice to either the younger Jason or people that are tuned into this episode to not let other people's beliefs about what's possible for you actually penetrate you? Oh, I mean, another great question. And uh, excuse my language, but stop giving a shit about what everyone else thinks. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that the people that you're so worried about what they think are usually the people that bring negativity towards what you're doing. And if you dig a little deeper, the people that are bringing negativity towards what you're doing, if you analyze those individuals, It's those people that are feeling some sort of pain because they haven't done it. And as a result of them not doing it, when you do something that might be outlying or outside the standard deviation of what is considered like the blueprint, they will chirp you for it. They will try and bring you down. They will question it. They will talk about your behind your back. And for me, because I was so worried about what everyone else cared and said, 
I wasn't focused on doing in the things I had to be doing. And so if I could give less shit back when I was 21 about what other people thought and the reasons why not to do stuff, I would have been much better in a position mentally and physically to do it. And the second I stopped caring, the second I said, I'm going to do it and here's the reason and thought and logic in my head why it makes sense and giving it a shot, the more access, opportunity, discovery, and just overall happiness started to just blossom. So that was my biggest thing is I cared too much about what other people thought. Now, you get really passionate when you speak about the results that came to fruition for yourself post that relationship. I'm curious, do you feel like that was your biggest awakening moment in life? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone has kind of a breaking moment. Everyone has uh, people who just haven't found their lane or their passion or what's next or where they think they need to be and what they're doing. Inevitably, until you work on that, until you put in the time to try and figure that out, uh, you're going to break. And I think everyone has different breaking moments. And for me, it wasn't, you know, the excessive drinking. It wasn't the camouflaging of Xanax and beta blockers. Weirdly enough, it was the relationship. And this is me telling you things that years ago, I would have never told you. But this is the example of creating, being honest, being open. That was it. Because I had been set to provide such a high expectation, you know, in this relationship, and that expectation wasn't being matched in any direction. And I think I was just rattled at the core when it didn't work out and the way it didn't work out. Mm. And so that was a breaking moment for me. That was when I kind of realized, whoa, what you're doing is way off. And what you're trying to do for everyone else is actually only hurting one person and it's you in the future. And so that was very, very, very eye-opening for me. And I think people need to be extremely real with themselves. What is it? Is it a relationship? Is it something stupid? Just because it's something stupid doesn't mean it's not what's breaking you. What's it going to take? And I think that's also a big thing that people, they, you know, I just talked to one of my best buddies yesterday. For his entire career, he's so focused on having a job that sounds good when he's at a bar, that sounds good when he's on a dating app, that sounds good when he's talking to his family, when they're catching up in their own town. I want to be this. I want to be this. He told me yesterday, I want to be in tech sales. It's like, dude, you don't want to be in tech sales. You were in manufacturing sales. You were in this type of sales. You've hated it all. Why do you want to be in tech sales? And he thought about it. I said, I'll tell you why you want to be in tech sales. Because it sounds fucking cool. And when you tell people you're in tech sales, they immediately think success in money. That's why. But you're going to get in that job. You're going to get in that grind. You're going to have the same output that you do now. You're going to be miserable, hating that you have to report on your you know, your pipeline and do, go over your calls and be held accountable to a number. You're going to be in the same state you're in. And the only difference is now you actually don't have debt. You actually are financially off to go do something you want. So stop focusing on these titles and these positions that are going to make you sound cool and start focusing on what do you want. And then there was a long period of silence and I think it clicked. So... It almost sounds like ego was in the driver's seat. Now, I don't know your friend. I'm just making an assumption to an extent here. It sounds like ego was in the driver's seat. What's your advice for taking ego out of the driver's seat, not removing it from the car because ego is an important thing to have in our lives, but you know, just making sure it stays in the back seat. Yeah. I think if you analyze almost majority of fights that you've gotten in, majority of grudges you still hold, issues with other people, if you really take some time to psychoanalyze it, What's crazy is it's usually egos that are driving all of that. And when you eliminate ego in those certain circumstances, you start to realize who's winning here. Where's the true win? Like you got someone back, you held a grudge, you didn't take that job, or you know, you're doing something because it looks cool. What's the net net? 
okay, that person thinks it looks cool. Then what? There's 18 other thousand people in the world that have a cooler job making more money. Then what? Okay. Who gives a shit? And I think really looking at economics and macros and really just understanding what is the win of this? What is the purpose is really, really important because if you let your ego drive you, it will drive you nuts. It will put you in positions where you're probably purchasing things you shouldn't to flex. You're saying things that aren't aligned with truly who you are. And maybe you, like me, might be 10 years stuck in a career that you weren't supposed to be stuck in, you know, only to be flat in your face in the executive's bathroom floor having a panic attack. Who knows? But if ego drives, I have the, the belief that, you know, in the end, you won't win. Yeah, totally. Now, I'm curious to talk about passion here because it was something that you had mentioned earlier. You talked about mobility, compensation, passion, impact. What's your suggestion? And this might be a little bit of a cliche question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's your suggestion for individuals to actually find what they're passionate about? And the reason I'm asking it is because I like to provide people with different perspectives here and what you say might be different, what you know Mel Robbins has to say. So I'm just curious. Yeah. My take is like, if you're listening to this right now, and let's say you're at work or you're driving or doing something that you don't want to do or you know whatever it might be, and you took an hour break, I give you one hour, go do whatever you want. What are you doing? You know, mm. Friday night comes around. You're excited. The work week's over. You got this, this, and this lined up in the weekend. What are those things? You know, you want right. to take you and your partner or significant other out to a dinner or a certain game or a certain this. You guys play or share. You're doing arts and crafts, whatever it might be. What are the things you're doing when you're not working? What are the things you're doing with your free time? And when you start to analyze that stuff, there are massive multi-billion dollar businesses behind all of it. Okay, you like to go to the casino because that's fun. Gambling is a good time. You know how many damn businesses you could work for that have to do with gaming and entertainment? You know, you like, you're really obsessed with wine. Do you know how many things under the wine umbrella from business development to internal accounting to marketing to selling to tasting, the things you could do? There are so many businesses behind hobbies, activities, and passions. And I think we just think about what we're doing as opposed to what the actual model is behind that business. And behind that business might be huge, huge opportunity for you, your future, and truly your happiness. Absolutely. Now, one thing that you had mentioned earlier was the process of being real with yourself, right? And I, I always get really curious around this because I have lied to myself more than I've lied to other people, right? What does it take for you to shift out of that? And you, you might have already hit on it already, but I want to get a little bit deeper there, you know, to the point where you are able to keep it 100 with yourself, to not fake a happiness to yourself or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think if you, it's not a great question. I think if you are in a position where you're walking into a room, or you're walking into a meeting, or you're walking into the gym, whatever it may be, and you're starting to look around and you're starting to benchmark yourself against other people and you're starting to feel a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? Starting to think like, oof, I don't know if I belong here. Wow, look at that guy or girl. Oh man, look what they're doing. You're just starting to feel like a little insecure with stuff. I believe that stems directly from lying to yourself because I think what happens is if you weren't lying to yourself, if you truly understood what you were doing and how you were doing it, you would have complete confidence in everything that you're doing, knowing that you're doing it to the best of your ability. If you said you were going to work out and you didn't work out, or you told someone you were, you lied to yourself. You could tell someone else, but you're lying to yourself. If you said you're going to get this project done by Friday and it wasn't done, and you told your boss three excuses as to why it didn't, he bought it. Great, you're good. You're off the you're off the you know you're off the hook. But you didn't do it. And I think the more you lie to yourself, the more you're going to experience imposter syndrome. 
But the more you experience imposter syndrome, the more you're going to feel as you don't belong when you do. And I think it all starts like if you're having any type of confidence issues or insecurities or imposter syndrome, I think the root of that is lying to yourself and not being real with the expectations you're setting and not being disciplined enough to actually be the best version of yourself. For sure. I'm curious. I know that you podcast. I'm sure you do a whole ton of speaking, obviously book tours, all that good stuff. What's a question you wish more people would ask you? Ooh, that's a good one. So yeah, I've had the pleasure of doing you know a lot of... Uh, yeah, I've done a, did a book tour. We did eight cities and seven states in eight days. That was great for the book when it released. I've had some really cool podcast guests on trading secrets like A-Rod, Kevin O'Leary. There's a Rob Deerdeck. He was a beauty. But I've done some great speaking. I get, get a lot of questions about The Bachelor, right? I think it would be interesting to be asked more about the strategic reasoning is to the projects that I have going. And so what's interesting is that every single project I have, whether it's the book, it's the consulting firm, it's the agency, it's the Instagram partnerships, the speaking events, everything kind of has a tentacle in the fact that when I'm doing one thing, it's hedging success in the other direction. And if I'm making a relationship on the podcast, it could create not only significant success in the podcast with downloads and monetization and brand building, but it could also touch another business over here. So I tried to be extremely diligent with the businesses that I have and the impact each of them can have on the other. And I think often I'm asked like, oh, how are you doing all that? Or you've spread yourself too thin or why did you start that? I mean, that seems like a like a tough one. I've never asked the strategic initiative. And for me, every action I have within the space is built on passion, impact, purpose, but also how it can impact the other businesses. That's a beautiful thing. I'm curious to learn how you ensure there is alignment throughout all of your projects, right? Alignment to your core beliefs, your core values. It's just, I think due diligence, like now more than ever, it's just so easy to understand what you're doing, how you're doing it, who you're speaking to, why you're speaking to them, the audience that will be there. There's so much information on the damn internet that if you're not doing due diligence before you know, you know, interviews you're having, guests you're speaking in front of, uh, initiatives that you're starting up with, brands that you're aligning with. Shame on you, right? And I think it only takes one or two big mistakes within the lack of due diligence before you start to say, I got to get on that shit and I got to do it before. Because poor prior planning, like the old PPP, that will that'll hit you hard in every single direction. Absolutely. Now, when it comes down to staying grounded throughout that process, right? Because I'm sure that, you know, people are dropping a bag on your desk and saying like, hey, I want to work with you. Like, how do you stay grounded? Yeah, I think staying grounded is, I think that's where you rely on that. You're close border direct, right? Like, I remember when I got off the show, there were a couple of times I might have thought, you know, my shit didn't stink. And what's nice is that that same friend group that's been there through my highs and lows and my wild detours, the same friend group that's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're like, what? What do I do? Like, dude, you look like an asshole right now. And it's those people. And I think those are the people that'll check you. And I think, I, you know, I heard this from Daniel Negreanu when I interviewed him. So anyone that doesn't know Daniel Negreanu, he's, uh, he's won over $48 million in, in poker tournament winnings. And he's won excess of that in cash games. One of the best poker players ever lived. And I said, you know, Poker's like a game like golf. Everyone plays it. Millions and millions and millions of people play it. And the other thing is golf, you have to have like unbelievable hand-eye and intelligence. You know, poker, like how are you the number one? What made you the number one thing? And the three takeaways I have from that conversation 
were they were pretty simple, but he does them better than literally anyone. One is he's outrageously hyper-competitive to a fault, which he admitted. Uh, the second one is that he's outrageously disciplined. He wear, he packs the suit that he's going to wear to the final table a month before packing. He knows what his schedule is going to look like the day before he gets to the tournament. He knows what works for him from a sleep-wise. He knows himself so well that he knows he enjoys conversations. He loves people. But he also has recognized that he is an introvert in the fact that when he is with people, even if it's a dinner before the tournament starts, while he has fun and a good time, his energy out, he is being energy depleted when he is with people at a dinner. So while he his endorphins are high, his energy is being depleted. And so he used to go to dinner, big dinners before tournaments and would have unbelievable failure rates. So he knows himself better than anybody. He can't do anything that's related to socializing before the big things. So that was a big one, discipline. And I think the, the biggest, which comes back to your exact question, is self-awareness. Like when someone's giving you feedback, especially the people that really care about you, are you self-aware enough to say they're right? Or when you made a huge mistake for Daniel Negreanu, when he made a terrible play, is he self-aware enough to say, yeah, I'm one of the best, but that was awful. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to analyze it. I'm going to understand why I did it. And I'm going to work my ass off and never do it again. And I think self-awareness is massive when it comes to self-development and growth. What have been your biggest takeaways from hosting a podcast? I mean, I could sit here and, you know, if I was asked that question, I would probably fumble over a whole bunch because it's so hard to just pinpoint, you know, what the biggest takeaways are, especially when you put out, you know, incredible content nonstop and very consistently. I'm just curious, what have been the biggest takeaways? I think so. We've had a wide array of people on the podcast. We've had musicians and uh, I can't even speak right now. We've had comedians and actors and and sharks from the shark tank and just like a whole wide list of people. And so the interesting thing is they've all achieved outlying success. And even the billionaires we've had on, like the guy who started, Mark Randolph, who started Netflix and and Mark Laurie, who start, uh, who was the former CEO of e-commerce Walmart and now owns the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know, I think the biggest takeaway I have from all these individuals is that they have lived and learned in their very short time on earth what most people would live and learn over the course of like 20 life. It's because when we all sit here, myself included, and anyone out there listening, we overthink it and we analyze it and we don't do it. These people that have achieved this craziness of success, it's never a question of executing. Execute, 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 do it, get it done, 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 it gets done. They fuck up millions of times over and over and over and over. But the thing is, is that they're back to self-awareness. They quickly adjust the things they didn't do right. They learn more about themselves. They learn more about the people around them. They learn more about where they they are, the cities, the resources, the location, the networks. And they're instantly getting more information than most people will get in 10 to 20 lifetimes. And then they're instantly deploying it. And I think that there's a lot of takeaways from that. But I think some big ones are, you know, fear of failure, overthinking, pushing off, waiting, not executing. That's what they do. And whether it's swinging a bat like A-Rod, or it's Kevin investing in a company, or it's Mark selling his, guy came from nothing, selling his diaper company for hundreds of millions of dollars to Walmart. They all took a shot on something that most people a hundred times over told them not to do. The difference is they had done it 15, 14, 13, 300 times before and it didn't work out. 
but that didn't define them. They just kept taking swings and kept taking shots. Now, you alluded to the success that all of these guests have had. This is a question that I used to ask on the show all of the time. In fact, this is how we would open every show. And then I said I was getting way too repetitive. I haven't asked this in a while. I'm curious, how do you personally define success? Yeah, for me, so I think everyone defines it differently, right? right? Everyone defines it differently. And one thing I remember when I asked Mark Rory, dude, you got it all. You're an MBA owner, you're a multi-billionaire, you got two beautiful daughters, your life is, you're healthy. He's like, what more do you need? So I asked him, I like, what is, what's like, okay, what's your biggest regret? And he took like a minute, it's kind of a long pause. It's like, man, if I'm going to be real with you, I think my biggest regret is like to get where I am, which is everything I wanted out of life. I had to make a lot of sacrifices and I didn't get to spend enough time with my kids as much as I would, I would have liked. Mm. And my kids are grown up and I'm doing everything I can to make that relationship strong and, you know, last a lifetime. But I missed out on a lot of things and I'll never get that back. And it's eye-opening. It's really eye-opening when you hear a guy who literally has it all say that and be that vulnerable and real and raw. And I think that aligns with what for me is overall success. And it's it's truly just my happiness. Like how happy am I today? You know, I know the things that make me happy. I know success and work makes me happy. I know accomplishments make me happy. I know that being in a good place with my fiance makes me happy. I know going to see my friends and family makes me happy. So am I balancing things in life enough that it's filling up my tank to drive my overall happiness levels. And so for me, that's what it is. For, for anyone else, if you're thinking to it, something I just said resonates, I would say like really put on a piece of paper, like write it down because I write it down. It's actually an Excel file and I do monitor it. But what in your life truly makes you happy? And how are you allocating times, things to fill those buckets? And guess what? Money's one of those things. Great. You've identified right. it. You know that. So go get it. Go fill that bucket then. How do you know when you're actually happy? This was a question I asked Gabby Bernstein when she came on here. I think it's a weird question to ask, but when I look at my life, I said to myself, how do I know when I'm actually happy? Does my happiness align with when I'm laughing and when I'm with friends? Does it align when I'm, you know, having new experiences, traveling the world? I'm just curious, like, how do you know when you're personally happy? Yeah. I mean, it's a, that's a really tough one because it's tough to actually like, how do you identify what that level of success is? I'm a numbers guy. I know people are going to hear this and be like, dude, you're out of your fucking mind. You're weirdo. <laughs> I know I'm happy because I, you know, I have short-term memory. I'm like a goldfish. I'll forget. Like, yes, three weeks ago, I was the happiest guy in the world. But I ended up in a down day. I forgot about that. I actually track. So I have an Excel file. I have a few things I measure. And for each day, I will put in <laughs> to the 10th number how happy I am. So like, I'll put in my number today. And maybe my today, you know, is like a 8.1. Now, the question is, why is it point one? Those are things I got to think about. Now, what I can do is analyze, like I know the days I was a 10. And unfortunately, I haven't had many of them in 2022, but, but I'm also real with myself. So I'm a tough grader. But if I had 10, I can go back to those days and I could look at my schedule. Like, what happened? Is there a big win, a big deal? Did I see family? Was I with my parents? You know, was I on vacation? What was it? So that's how I do it. But, you know, teach their own. And for those who think I'm nuts, that probably am. <laughs> I'm curious, how do you bounce back from those bad days? Because they're inevitable. In fact, right before we even hopped on the show, I told you I'm surfing the waves of life. I think a lot of people still are. Some of those waves are huge. Some of those waves are little. I'm curious, what is it that you do to make sure that you're not stringing along the bad days, right? Maybe you have one, two, three, maybe a week straight that's bad. What are you doing to bounce back? Yeah, I think like the little cuts, the little, you know, like you think about like band-aiding things, like you can band-aid shit all day long. I did it most of my life. The problem is it's likely, you know, gonna leave a scar or not heal the right way. 
And I think the, the, the biggest thing you've got to do is like, you've got to drill down into what is the root of that, you know, mm. what really caused it. And so I think that takes like a lot of outrageous reflection, but that's the only way. If you leave the little cuts open, they're going to scar, they're going to scar. If you're not putting a Neosporin on, you're not doing the right things to take care of yourself. It's the track record's going to show. And so I think really understanding what's driving the unhappiness and finding either, you know, help within your community or professional help to get it done. It's just massive, but you gotta, you can't just, when you're, when you're unhappy, you got to lean into it. What's causing it? Like what's yeah. really, really causing it? Because it, no one's going to fix it for you. Not one human out there that's going to say, Matt's unhappy. I'm going to go figure it out and fix it. You know, you might be able to meet with a therapist or something, but they're still going to charge you two, 300 bucks an hour, whatever it might be. So you got to do it for yourself. And there's only one way to do it. It's check it and understand what's really doing it and being honest because it's okay if what doesn't make you happy isn't a popular opinion. And mm-hmm. oftentimes it's not. People are afraid to admit it because it's not a popular opinion. People are afraid to talk about it because it's looked down. That is sure. step into it. Now, I know I only have you for a few more minutes here. Let's talk about the book real quick. The Restart Roadmap, Rewire and Reset Your Career. Why at this point did you feel this was a necessity for the world to receive? Well, I started writing it when the world hit reset in 2020. So I was like, wow, this is a perfect time. Now, little did I know that in that time period, you would have the most individuals ever voluntarily leave their jobs. In the history of measuring that statistic, the most individuals, over 40 million humans, voluntarily left their jobs to do what they wanted to do, to write their own story, and to write it their way. And so that was part of the most motivation. And so for me, I've had a weird resume, a real weird resume from investment banking, corporate banking, to getting my MBA, to going on reality television shows and, you know, appearing on many different shows and then, you know, living a life of entrepreneurship in influencing realm. I mean, just weird, bizarre shit I've gone through. But through that, I've got to really have wild experiences. I've got to sit at the desks at headquarters of some of the largest banks and see Forbes, like, you know, highest ranked, powerful people in banking talk about delivery and strategy and branding and marketing. I've got to see some of the best in the business, like a, a Hoda, a Kathy Lee, a Michael Strahan behind the scenes prepare for a segment and then go on the segment and within 20 seconds crush it and make an impression. And through these wild, wild kind of life experiences, uh, you know, from how and seeing behind the scenes and walking red carpets to seeing and living in unscripted television show and watching the inner workings, seeing people like Strahan crush it in a 10 second delivery all the way back to Wall Street from the hometown I grew up in Buffalo, New York, which I consider Main Street. I've learned a ton of lessons from just listening, watching, experiencing. And in this book, I share all those in an eight-step roadmap. It'll help anybody either make small changes to their career that'll make them overall happier, more satisfied, or big material shifts. Mm, how dope is Michael Strahan? He's incredible. He's unbelievable. I mean, he, I think he's got he's got to have the most electric energy in person that I've met. Like when you meet the guy, his energy just bleeds off him. It fills you up. It's energetic. It's optimistic. It's cool. It's chill. It's fun. And if you ever walk into a room and stray hands there, literally you feel it. You're just like, wow. That's good. <laughs> yeah, Damon had him at Black Entrepreneurs Day at Apollo Theater. It had to have been in October of 2021, and he was a guest. They were doing a panel together, or you know, just a Q and A, kind of just like this, dude. It was. I was just like blown away by this guy. I mean, first of all, his regimen, his day to day, is insane. Yeah. Like 
up at like 3 a.m. And like, it's crazy. But dude, I had a talk about that real quick because he is next level, man. He is so next level. It's it's great. And it's just like, you think about the prep he does, right? What's cool, what's interesting about television is you got a very finite period to do something really cool, to connect with the barrel, to make the people with you laugh, to make an impression, very small window. And the way he's able to do it is just so impressive. And that is the guy in Good Morning America. Yes, maybe not relatable to anybody at home, but think about how many times in your life you got to make an impression. Right. It could be in a day, it could be a meeting, could be a sales opportunity, could be an interview, could be in the classroom, could be out in the field somewhere. And if you could just take like a few things away from a guy like that who does it perfectly day in and day out, it really changes the impact of interaction. For sure. I mean, we could we could actually help this relate to what we're talking about here. Strahan went from NFL into TV, right? Like that's the restart. That's a restart. So I'm that's curious. I'm really curious. This isn't something I asked earlier, but those moves are scary. They're 100% scary. You're leaving a zone of comfort. What's your advice for the people that are tuned into this right now in regards to getting out of their comfort zone? Because I think that's what holds a lot of people back, truthfully. Yeah, I think it's honesty of like so many people try to make transitions and then like act like they're the professional and the best in the business at it. And the one thing is, is like there's nothing endearing about like in the Mm -hmm. thing is in life. When people are like real and honest and and you find them endearing, you want to help them. I mean, I think about like when I was a senior in college, right? Like I remember there's 15 freshmen and there's the one guy who's like, man, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I just want to go have a good time. It's like, that's the guy I want to help. And that like lays true in so many different stratospheres. And it goes back to, I think Michael's point is like, Michael knows that he isn't a professional host, but he's himself. And he knows he'll need help with certain things and touch-ups and interviews and pauses and all that stuff, but he talks about it. And I remember we did one segment and it was for The Bachelor and it was recapping a Bachelor in Paradise, Bachelor in Paradise episode. And so it was in between commercials and he's like, okay, so they stop, right? And he leans over and he goes, listen, I only watched the first 20 minutes of the show. So I got my little things out for the next 20 minutes. The last half of the show, I didn't get to watch. He's talking about paradise. He's like, I don't watch any of it. So next segment, just say something smart about what happened. I got your back. I'm going to agree on it. So like, I'm like, that's <laughs> hilarious. Like, first of all, it's funny. It's open. It's honest. It's real. It's endearing. And so like, I'm like, all right, let's do this. Right. So I tee up something. I'm like, I can't believe Luke did that. It was unbelievable how he came across. And Michael, I know you would never do anything like that. You're a gentleman. We might have to have you for the bachelor one of these days if you're single. Right. So I'm teeing him up and he's like, yeah, what Luke did was ridiculous. I wouldn't stand for that. Hey, you know what? I don't think my girlfriend would like me being the bachelor, but maybe one day, you know, <laughs> so I, just think, uh, I think something about being honest and endearing, stepping into new roles will actually create an ability to like want to help and be part of what you're doing. For sure. Now I'm curious, I don't want to get any hate mail from anyone. So if I don't bring up the, you know, reality TV, <laughs> I'm going to get that hate mail. I'm curious. You know, and I'm going to align this here. You mentioned that the moves you make are, they're calculated, they're strategic, there's reasoning behind it, there's mission, impact, all of that stuff. I'm curious, what was the goal of going into reality TV? Was it to find love? Was it something more than that? The only goal of going on the show was that I was 29, I was living in Seattle. I knew it was more what I did know and not more analyzing what I didn't know, but what I did know, I lived in a city and have moved, I think it was four or five times at this point for a job in which I now know I'm single. I really didn't like the infrastructure at Seattle for the company. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Really concerned about what was next at the company. And here comes this opportunity to go on ABC, to go on a dating show. 
to go on a show I've known for 20 years. Why the, like my thought was like, why the hell not? Now, if you said to me, when I applied and went through the process after, so they reached out to me and then they had me go through this whole crazy application process. If you said to me right there, you're hitting send on that uh, application, you think you're gonna get married? I would have been like, no. Do you think you're gonna be famous? Probably not. Do you think you'll have 15 minutes of fame? I don't know, maybe, like, I don't know, could happen. So my whole thought was like, I've been doing this for 10 years. I got no debt. I'm in a good financial position and I'm pretty freaking unhappy. The unknown was a lot of risk, but the unknown for me was worth the reward. And I was just like, let's just give it a shot. Let's roll the dice and see what happens. What was your biggest takeaway from being on the show? It was like a thousand takeaways, but I'm going to give you the first one that came to mind because that's the realest thing I could think of is that for three months, you have no phone, no TV, no internet, no music, no friends, no family, literally none of that. I'll never forget when I got on a date bus, like finally got out of the mansion after like three weeks, I'm on the date bus and there's music on the bus and I'm like, Oh, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I usually, I'm not the first one up dancing, but I was I just like hearing the music. I was fired up. And I think one of the, my biggest takeaways was when you don't have so much noise in your life, when you don't have those emails and when you don't have all that stuff, the ability to be aware of just yourself and your surroundings and conversation and people is so next level. It's so, so next level. I hate to bring drugs into this, but it's like the first time you're ever high and you get the munchies and you're eating and you're like, wow, this is the best food in the planet. (laughs) It's literally like that high. When you have like not having my phone, not having text messages bog me down and dumbass phone calls and emails and following up and just living, like thinking, breathing and talking and looking someone in the eye and wondering what else is going on. It was so refreshing and it allowed me to connect with myself and other people at a level I never had. And so can people listening to this go three months without their phone, TV, internet, music, family, friends? Fuck no. But what can you do? Literally try it for an hour. Maybe try it for two hours and you might feel or see or think something you've never thought. And I'd recommend anyone do it. Two hours. Put it all away. Yeah. Sit alone. Sit with one person. Don't get interrupted. Crazy what can come. That's powerful. Absolutely. I, I know that I only have you for a few more minutes here. I'm going to let everyone know that links to the book, socials, websites, all of that good stuff will be in the show notes. I have two more questions for you. Number one being if someone picks up this book, but they could only take one thing away from it, what would you want that one thing to be and why? Negotiate for how much you make, negotiate for how much you pay for things. That's the biggest thing. Only 37% of humans in their entire life, the number is changing slightly, which is great. Only 37% of people will actually negotiate for their pay, not within a year, not on a biannual basis in their freaking careers. Start negotiating. We live in a time right now where inflationary risk is outrageous. And if you're not getting paid what you should be getting paid, or you are paying or overpaying for something you shouldn't be overpaying, you are going to have such a material Mm -hmm. impact on your financial well-being. So negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. That is powerful. And we're negotiating every day, right? We literally, with every move we make, that's powerful. Well, that's the thing. I think you just touched on something really important. I don't want to overpass it. Is that people hear that like, oh, I don't want to ask for a raise. Or like, I'm comfortable. I'm weird. You're negotiating. You've been negotiating since you're a kid. When you gave your toy to someone in kindergarten, when you spend time with someone, you and I are negotiating right here, right? Like me, when we have a past relationship and coming on the podcast and then 
I'll negotiate promoting it. Like we're constantly negotiating everything of every day, time, energy, resources, effort, money, like start being aware of it and doing it more often for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So powerful. Last question. I know I need to let you run here. You live to whatever year you want to live to. You accomplish all you want to accomplish in life. You have the most successful marriage, love, intimacy, business, career, everything, right? You you do it all. You could only be remembered for one piece of advice though. What would that one piece of advice be? (laughs) You can only be remembered for one piece of advice. I'm going to have to go with is like kind of my mantra, especially in the book, the one piece of advice I'd give anyone and I want to be remembered for is just break the blueprint. You're born into a world where there's expectations set for you. There's caps and lids on what you can do. There's definitions of success delivered and thrown in your brain on what you watch and who you talk to and who your neighbors are and who coaches you. And what I would tell you is that all those things put you into what they will define as the blueprint to success. And if you take any individual that you look up to, anyone, name one now, I'll name one, The Rock. The guy broke the blueprint a thousand times over, right? I mean, think about anyone that you are inspired by. They've broken the mold and broken the blueprint. So when you live your life and you make big decisions, think about why you're doing them, doing for yourself and break the mold of what's created a blueprint of success for you. That's powerful, man. I appreciate that. You have anything else going on that we should let people know of? Any any new projects coming about? Yeah. So we, I mean, podcast is, we got a new episode every Monday, got the book, obviously that's out working on book two right now. I run a talent agency, which uh, has been going really well and exciting. And, you know, there's, we're also working on a business all access group where we're going to provide tips, tools, and consulting for small businesses as they're trying to get their name out. If you're a small business or you're a brand trying to build some side hustle, just shoot me an email, restart at jasontardic.com and we'll tell you more. Awesome. Jason, I appreciate this, man. I'm going to make sure all links are in the show notes of this episode, expressing gratitude one last time, man. Thank you so much for this. Matt, thank you so much for having me. Great interviewer. Great, uh, great time spent and I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. All right, everyone, you just heard from our guest, Jason Tartik, right here on the Decoding Success Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to give a huge shout out to Jason for the raw, real transparency he shared about why he felt like he needed to make a pivot in his life and being able to break down after reanalyzing what he experienced for all of us to benefit from. That is the beauty of having a podcast, being able to amplify a message just like Jason's to make sure that we are able to take what we need to take and apply it how we need to apply it. So Jason, shout out to you. If you want to connect with Jason, you could do so in the show notes of this episode where you'll find his podcast, website, socials, all of that good stuff. To that point, you're listening to this podcast for a reason. You either needed to hear it for yourself or because someone in your life needs to hear that. So with that being said, I'm going to urge you to make sure you are sharing it with someone that you know needs this, someone that may be going through a transitional period, someone that may be trying to find what happiness is for them. Listen, there are so many reasons why you should be sharing this episode. And I want to give a shout out to Jason once more for giving us those reasons why. So make sure you're sharing this with the people in your life. Until next week, Wednesday, we are going live once again. Until then, be blessed. Peace.